Hal's not here, Brian's not here, Cliff doesn't matter. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I, it cuts in on my time, Adam, but I'm just going to cut out all those nice things I was going to say about you. <laughs> we'll get into the Word. Take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As we consider this topic, we have this ministry. We have this ministry in jars of clay. And uh, join, just listen as I read uh, the text. And it might help if I find my reading glasses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants. For Jesus' sake... For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray today that you would uh, give us grace and help through your Holy Spirit to understand these words. Give me grace to communicate, to explain, to preach these things. But in the end, Lord, I pray that your word, which is eternal, it's living, it's active, it is working in our hearts, Lord. Just reading your word has power to capture our attention to teach us to speak to us to do a work of transformation i pray in the end lord that you would do these things in our lives today because of the preaching of your word because i pray in the name of jesus amen by way of introduction let me just share a, a sort of a, a story a few weeks ago before clay moved out to California about two months before he moved he said daddy he said I think you should join CrossFit with me I laughed too <laughs> and then I thought I said well he's here for about two more months and I was trying to think about how I could maximize that and I said and Tama looked at me she says you're not seriously thinking about doing that are you 
I said, it's according to how you qualify serious, but I do think I want to try to have some time with my son. And so I joined. And so the first day I went to CrossFit, I met the young little lady trainer, and, and she was uh, sort of giving me an orientation and, and then evaluating. And she asked, she said, uh, what's your goal? I said, my goal is to walk out alive. <laughs> and uh, she, she laughed. And she says, no, serious. I says, I'm dead serious. <laughs> I said, uh, the last thing I want to do is die in this place. Well, I, I, I say that as an illustration because we're somewhat geared in that way toward all of life. We naturally have this inclination to live and to do whatever we need to do to live. But our passage today is totally contrary to that. What Paul is saying is, he, in, in essence, he says, I'm giving my life over almost daily, even unto death, so that others can live. And so that's somewhat the sermon today in that God has given us this great ministry. And he's designed us in such a way to be weak vessels in this ministry so that he can receive great glory. I want to just simply divide the passage up in, in just the two paragraphs, verses 1 through 6, and then 7 through 12. In verse 1 through 6, we'll see that we are confident in ministry because we preach Jesus and not ourselves. In the second part, I hope you'll just see simply uh, that we are weak vessels in ministry to show the power of God through us as we do this ministry. So first of all, as we look at 2 Corinthians, just we, 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 we're reminded that this is Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. In his first letter, it was, it was much more of a correcting, a teaching, uh, trying to deal with a lot of things in the the Corinthian church that were problematic. His second letter is a little bit more affirming. One, he affirms them, hey, you did the right thing. And now he begins in another vein to start instructing them about this ministry that they have. And throughout chapters 2 and 3 and, and even into 4 and 5, he, he, he continues to use this word ministry, focusing on the ministry that not only... He had, as an ambassador of Christ, that's what he called himself. Actually, he identified all of himself and the church at Corinth. We are ambassadors as, for Christ, as if God is making his uh, uh, proclamation through us. And so to be ministers of the gospel, we are servants of the Lord. We're sharing the gospel. And, and so we're, we're proclaiming Christ to others. And so here in chapter 4, he continues this vein, and he says, Therefore, since through God's mercy, he, he first lays the, the foundation of this ministry in view of God's mercy, referring to the gospel itself, that we are saved by grace uh, because of God's mercy. Uh, we do not deserve it. We've not done anything to earn it. And therefore, because of God's mercy, he does not give us what we deserve, but he gives us what we don't deserve. He has offered his own son, Jesus Christ, to, to go to the cross, there to bear our sin, to die on the cross for our sin, 
in our place for us to save us. That, that in essence, is the gospel. That's the basis of this ministry, sharing the gospel with others. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, this ministry, he says, we do not lose hope. So in just various aspects of this ministry, just let me identify just a few things. First, it's a ministry of hope. He says, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Now, usually you think about not losing heart when you are discouraged or when it is hard, uh, when it is difficulty, when it is a challenge. And, and we would know what it means to, to lose hope in many situations of life. He uses this language as reference to the ministry. And the reality is ministry can be hard. The ministry of proclaiming the gospel can be hard. The Christian life can be hard. But certainly, proclaiming Christ to a lost world, hoping and expecting they, they understand it. They, they want to receive it as much as you have. They, they would love it and take joy in it like you have. But it's, it's hard sometimes. It's discouraging. Now, in chapter 2, verse 14, he, 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 he emphasizes the same thing. He says, he says in chapter 2, he says, For if I grieve you who is left to make me glad, but whom you have grieved, I wrote you as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who, who, who make me rejoice. But he says, in this, he says, I want you to have confidence. He says, I want you to have confidence, confidence in the gospel. I want you to have hope. In verse, in verse 14, he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. He talks about this, this triumphal procession that we are involved in as we we share the gospel, but this is how the Lord leads us. Verse 4 of chapter 3, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Our confidence is in Christ because of who he is and what he has done. Again, in verse 12, he says something of the same way. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are very bold. Referring to this new covenant, this new message that we can proclaim to others. It's a ministry of, of hope. Recently, uh, Tama and I had two trips. Uh, one we planned and one someone planned for us. The first one we planned a vacation trip to Vermont, which we had been wanting to do for years. And uh, just driving through the country, it was beautiful. We saw the leaves. We took it all in. Uh, you know, Brother Al suggested I visit a, 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 a little Bible college while I was up there on my vacation. And uh, in so doing, I visited with a, a, a missionary pastor one afternoon. And he just kind of gave me a vision of what they're doing in Vermont and how difficult it is in that state and in much of the Northeast. The challenge is that probably only 2 or 3% of people are Christian. Vermont is one of the most unevangelized states, in one sense, as in the country. And so, so it just kind of broke our heart to see, as we would drive through this state, in every town, I, I can't recall driving in one little small town in Vermont and not seeing a church closed or empty or had been turned into a museum or a shop. 
And this was much characteristic of, of, of Vermont. A few weeks later, my second trip was more planned for me. And when Clay said, Dad, can you help me move to California? He was taking his new job, and we went with him. Again, San Francisco is where he moved. Uh, it, it doesn't take much to just kind of walk around in that city and see the lostness there, the need of Christ. It'd be easy to lose hope. It'd be easy just to think there is no hope. Unless you remember the gospel. Unless you remember the Christ who is victorious. The power of the gospel to change lives. And that God is still able to do things in such a way that sometimes we cannot see in our own eyes. I don't know exactly all that the Corinthians were facing. We know much about their the nature of their church from the book of 1 Corinthians. But as they might be young believers and as they were a new church start in this, uh, this area of the world where Christ was not well known, mostly known, and not welcomed, you can see their own challenge. We live in an ever-increasing world like that where most of the people around us are not believers and followers of Christ. And we could easily be discouraged. But this word that Paul wrote to the Corinthians is also the eternal word of God that is written for us. We have this ministry. This ministry, in this ministry, we have hope. Not only does he say we do not lose heart, but in verse 2 he says, rather... He speaks now to the character of the witness in some ways. He speaks to his own testimony of what he has done so that this gospel, this ministry of the gospel might go forth. He says, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. First of all, we, we see here a ministry that, that Paul states in words that it speaks to the integrity. Now, we know that Paul, at different times in his ministry, were, was attacked and falsely accused. Falsely accused for, for distorting the word, such as the Old Testament law and what they in, understood the law to be. But he was not distorting the word of God. He was not distorting the gospel. Matter of fact, he was bringing the whole truth of the Old Testament into light, in light of the gospel. But there was nothing secret, there was nothing shameful about Paul's life that would discredit him as a person, as a messenger, as a vessel of the gospel. He says, we do not distort the truth. But we set it forth plainly, we set it forth plainly in such a way that even the conscience of every man, if they bring that message before God in an honest, sincere way, they could see the truth of the gospel here. Now, now, now pause with me. You understand what Paul's saying here. As I proclaim the gospel, as I'm telling you the gospel, as I'm teaching you the gospel, if, if you will honestly listen, and take this message that, that I'm, I'm sharing with you. And if you would honestly bring that before God and say, God, is this truth? Let me tell you what will happen. 
God will confirm it as truth. If you are open and willing to believe the truth, God, that's what he's saying. God will show you the truth. We were out in Texas. Some of us on staff was out in Texas this past week uh, attending a conference. And uh, we had went out to eat for dinner. And we were Ubering back. That's a fun thing to learn for old people. We were taking this Uber back to the hotel. And surely as I got in the car, of course, I knew the driver's name. It was uh, Ahmed. Ahmed. And I says, okay, I can kind of guess where this may be as far as origin. And uh, so I, I engage Ahmed in a conversation. Where are you from? What do you do? And, and then I said, Ahmed, by your name, am I supposed to uh, just uh, uh, suppose that you're from a Muslim background? And he says, I, I am. And, and I tried to guess his country. I, because I ate at a Turkish restaurant, I guessed Turkey first, and I was wrong. And he said India, but he is from a, a Muslim background. And I said, are you a practicing Muslim? And he, he honestly just says, not really. And then I just very, and, and it was a short time in the car, I said, have you ever considered Jesus? He says, it's interesting you say that because when I lived back in Cincinnati, all the people I worked with in my office were Christians, and they kept telling me I should should uh, study, read the Bible with them and learn who Jesus was. And I, and I really wish I would have done that. Now, that's what he said to me. Well, that'll make you, lip you lick your you chops a little bit. And so I didn't have much time, but I went into the gospel as concise and as brief as I could. And then I just appealed to him, just in a heartfelt language. I looked at him. And I put my hand on his arm and I said, Ahmed, listen. I'm telling you the truth about Jesus. He is the Son of God. And he did die on a cross for our sins. Find the Bible. Read the book of John. And just and he says, if you are honest and sincere in wanting to know the truth, just ask God to show you that these things are true. And he will. I think that's what Paul is saying here. There, there's something also that God is working through the conscience of men. Even though, even though, yes, Satan sets out to blind the minds of unbelievers, Satan sets out to, to, to set a veil over their face, but we know that God is the God who in darkness makes the light shine. God makes the light shine. We simply share the gospel and we let God do what he does. Make the light shine. And so it's a ministry of integrity, but it, it, we also see this opposition in 3 and 4. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It's, it's those who, who have chosen not to believe. He, and then he identifies the God of this age. This is Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. He says, but, but later he'll say, but God makes his light shine in darkness. And he, and, and he quotes in Genesis 1-3, where Pastor Brian preached from last week. And it's that image of, of just darkness over the earth, but God making light shine. It's the same principle. We're spiritually dead, but God makes us alive through our faith in the Lord Jesus. But there's opposition. 
So, so he says he understands the, the trials, the troubles, the hardships that, that come with being a Christian, with having this ministry. But it's a ministry of the gospel. And look at verse 4 and 6. He says, he says, he says, so that they can see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Three times he mentions Christ in this way. Who is the image of God? Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants. For Jesus, in, in verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Genesis 1-3. He says, for God who, who said, let that light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts. Paul was one of those persons who was blinded, actively persecuting the church. Paul was not seeking God, but God sought him, and God blinded him with a light on the road to Damascus. And in that light, God shined forth in his dark heart, blinded eyes, in such a way that the eyes of his heart might see the glory of Christ, the hope of his salvation. So our ministry is one of the gospel. Now, as I was praying a few weeks ago, really what I wanted to preach to you was verse 7. But I, f I felt like I really needed to lay the background and probably have enough to say in 30 minutes. So I included verses 1 through 6. But this is where Paul leads to. He says in verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. In, in this verse, I think overall we could just see this this truth come out, that we are weak vessels, fragile vessels of ministry, for the ministry, for the purpose of showing God's power through us. First of all, he talks about just the fact that we possess it. We have. We have. Paul says we have. He possessed this treasure, this knowledge of Christ. But he also included the Corinthians. We have this treasure. And I say to us as a church at Lakeview this morning, for every one of you who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you claim Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You claim to be a follower of Christ. Then the same words apply. You have this treasure. You possess it. He calls it a, a treasure here. He, he, he uses this, 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 this analogy, this, this imagery of, of talking about our faith, calling it a treasure, this knowledge of the gospel, something valuable. It's what Jesus did when he talked about the kingdom of God in the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. The, the man found the treasure in the field, and it was so valuable that he went and sold all he had so that he could purchase this. In the next verse, it says, it talks about the same thing. The kingdom of God is like the pearl of great price. The man found the pearl, and he went and sold all that he had so that he could purchase this pearl. 
is something valuable. This, this is what we have in Christ Jesus, something of value, eternal value, infinite value. This gospel, he calls it in verse 4, the glory of Christ. In verse 6, the knowledge of the glory of God. This is what we have. Now, sometimes we know that there is a cost to purchase or to receive something of value. But we normally don't associate there's a cost in giving it. What Paul is saying here, in, in one sense, he's saying, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Peter, when he wrote about this treasure, our faith, in, in 1 Peter 1, 7, says, these things, these have come to you so that your faith of greater worth than gold. And even though we perish, we also may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor. He's talking about the suffering, the trials that we go. But he refers to our faith of something greater worth than gold. Matthew, when, when Jesus was, was questioning the people about what was important to them, he says, what good will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Think about the worth of the whole world. Yet he compares that and says, yet forfeits his soul. So the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of the knowledge of Christ, is, is far more valuable than anything of this earth. Then he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now that's an interesting analogy, in jars of clay. He says, now why, why would you put a treasure in a, a jar, a jar of clay? And, and what, maybe why, why wouldn't it be stored in a, a vault if it's a treasure? Why would it not be guarded by, by security people? I've made a number of visits to London, and one of the places I like to go is the Tower of London. And one of the things you can uh, visit and and C is the crown jewels of England. I, I made the mistake of asking one of the, the tour guides, uh, how much are these things worth? And he just, in typical English fashion, just like you dumb American, they're priceless. And yet, this priceless, as he gave value to these jewels, these crowns, they're guarded. They're locked up in the Tower of London. They're, they're guarded by the, the beef eaters, some of the queen's most uh, strongest and trusted uh, 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 soldiers. But God says, this great treasure, this greatest treasure that is worth more than all of the treasures of the world, I'm going to put it in jars of clay. You and me. Now, well, let's think about what God's calling us, first of all. Jars of clay. Just old earthen vessels. And, and what's, what's characteristic? We're fragile. We're made of earth, clay. I grew up on a farm. If, if a farmer had a, a piece of land that, that was, was hard and, and made of clay, it, it wasn't worth very much. But unless, unless you can take clay and, and somehow in an artistic way, form it into something, you can make something that can be used. And that's been being done all around the world for, for ages. 
And the fact is, God has made us from the, the dust of the ground. And he has formed us into the person, the being that we are. And yes, we're fragile and we're temporal. But, but why, why would God not use the strongest, the, the smartest, the wisest, or, or the most eloquent, or the most educated, or the best looking? The fact is, God just uses jars of clay to carry out this ministry. Now, I would dare say, most of us in here today would, would just in reality know that, well, I'm probably not among that list of the strongest, the smartest, the wisest, or best looking. I think I'm pretty average in every sense. But in a real sense, God says, that's the kind of person I'm choosing to use. He wants to use every one of us. Because all of us have this ministry. But, but what is he saying by just saying we're jars of clay? What else does this imply? One, is, is the focus is not so much on the jar, but the treasure. The, the jar holds, contains the treasure. But the important thing is the treasure, not the jar. And, and, and it's like God is reminding us that it's not about us, but it's about him. But, but, but how, how regular do we just get up in the morning and we automatically start thinking, my life is not about me today, it's about God. We go through life, we go through a day, and, and we naturally think this way. No, we don't naturally. It has to be a supernatural work of the Spirit of, of, of just, just putting His truth in our hearts, in our minds, so that we realize that we're jars of clay, but we're holding this treasure. But it's a ministry a ministry, an exercise of faith to share this gospel, to give this, this treasure away. Now, any other treasure that we have, if we give it away, we've lost it. That's the difference between the treasure of the gospel. We give it away and we don't lose it. It multiplies. And so we're weak, we're jars of clay. I think about the, just the, the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were f discovered in 1947. A Bedouin shepherd was, was, was looking for some of his sheep, and he thought maybe some of his sheep had wandered in a cave, and he, and he took a rock and he threw it up in a cave, and he heard a crack, and climbing up in there, he found all of these jars plus the one he cracked, but inside the jars were these scrolls over 2,000 years old copies of God's Word, the greatest the, uh, archaeological discovery maybe ever in that sense. And think about that. The treasure for us and for an archaeologist, for someone who believes that the treasure of God's Word just stored in these jars. But the value was not the jars. It was, it was the, the, the scrolls that he found. It, it, would be, it would be like when, when I asked Tama to, to marry me. And, and I, I presented her with that little velvet box, you know, with the diamond ring. And I put it in her hand. I say, Tama, will you marry me? And, and it, none of our engagement happened like that. 
that's another story. But this for illustration. Now, she did say yes, and we did get married. I'm just, I didn't confuse you. Just forget I said that. Back to the illustration. Beautiful diamond box with a beautiful diamond ring. And let's just say, she's like, oh, it's a beautiful box. She opens it up, and she's, oh, I can store stuff in it. She's, and then she just throws the ring away. I so love the box. Sometimes we so love ourselves that we forget what the real treasure is. It's not us. It's the fact that Christ has come into our life through faith in Him. And He dwells with us by His Holy Spirit. And, and so this jar, this clay, reminds us that it's not about us. It's about Christ. He is His glory. We're fragile. We, and and we, think, we think like we shouldn't get sick or we should not lose our jobs or we should not have struggles. We should not have problems and heartaches. We, we kind of think that way because we, we think this is what my life is about. But notice what, what Paul said. He says, he, he, he put this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. And then he said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Think, think about what he's saying here. At the, the, the fact that we have to endure hardship. And we know about the struggles and, and, the, and the hardships of life. But he says these things in the context that we have a ministry. And this ministry is about sharing this treasure with others. And yet, he says, even though we're hard-pressed, it's, it's like a, a fort surrounded by the enemy on every side. And sometimes we... We feel like that in our Christian life. But he says, don't forget about the ministry of the gospel. There's times we're perplexed, we, but we don't understand situations or events. But we do not despair. Why wouldn't we despair? Maybe it implies the fact that we know the God who understands and knows all these things. And he's in control. So we do not have to despair. Even though there are things that are perplexing to us we don't understand. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Moses wrote to in Deuteronomy 31.6, The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. I think about Stephen when he was, when he was being martyred. He looked up to heaven and he says he saw Jesus there for him. He was not abandoned. He was not forsaken. Most of us may never be persecuted in this manner. But, but we can know this, that God will never leave us nor forsake us in whatever trial or difficulty we may face. He says struck down. It's like thrown down. But, but, but it's like a wrestler thrown down. He gets back up. He's not defeated. He's not lost. And we feel like, we feel like these these things that Paul is describing, but, but we need to know we're not crushed, we're not in despair, we're not abandoned, and we're not destroyed. Paul talked about many other uh, struggles he had in, in this same letter in chapter uh, 11. And I won't take time to read that, 
But you'll see so much of this letter is about Paul's hardships and struggles. And why is he writing these things to the Corinthians? Because he knows just as his own experience has been a, it's been a, a hard road as far as the Christian life. In the context of being an ambassador for Christ, the reality is it is hard. It is challenging. But God uses even the hard things of life. Not only for the purpose of sanctification. And we would most often think about the trials that we experience or for the purpose of sanctification. And this is just one thing I want to bring back in the ministry of the gospel. I believe God uses even these hard things for the sake of the gospel. Our sickness. Our losses. Our sorrows. If we will just always remember that God has put this treasure this knowledge of Christ in a jar of clay. It's fragile. It's weak. And he says for the very purpose to show that the power of God is shown through you. When you're weak, God is strong. When you're hurting, God is your comfort. When you don't know the way out, Put your trust in the Lord, and yet also use these times. Look to these situations as opportunities to say, is there a gospel ministry here? Paul said, he concluded, he says, he says we die daily. In verse, verse 10, he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Paul was not saying he physically died every day, but it was as if he carried around this idea, I'm, I'm, I am dying to self daily. And he said that in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. And, and you see, daily, so that Christ may live in me. And so we have to die to self, but we also have to be willing to carry around the death of Christ in us. So that, his life may be lived in us. For we who are alive are always being given over to death. And this may not be a physical death, but it is a death in the sense that we die to our, our own self and we let Christ live in us. We're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. When is Jesus' life going to be revealed? When, when we as weak jars are pressed, when we're perplexed, when we're persecuted, when we're struck down, there will always be an opportunity. There will always be an opportunity for us to still speak about the hope of Christ. So then, he says in verse 12, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. That's the gospel. We share the gospel with others so that they may have the life of Jesus. I believe God has entrusted to us this greatest treasure 
of Christ. There's nothing else more valuable than just the knowledge of Christ. And we have this ministry, ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of being his ambassadors. But he's, he's, he's put it in weak vessels so that only he can receive the glory. It's in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. That's what he, he said to Paul when Paul asked him to take this thorn away. He says, no. I'm going, to, I'm going to let you continue in that weakness so that my strength may be perfected in you. You, you, can, you can think like Moses. I, I can't speak very well. Well, it didn't work for Moses. And really, Paul says, I'm not an eloquent speaker. You think, well, I don't know enough. Listen, if you know Christ as your Savior, you know enough. And you can always learn more. You think, well, I'm hurting, I'm struggling. When Jesus was on the cross experiencing all the pains of the crucifixion, he was thinking about us. There is a way, by the grace of God, as a jar who's weak, in whatever experience of life, we can be reminded that this is really not about us, but it's an opportunity for the power of God to be shown forth in our life. Will you pray with me? So God in heaven, I pray, Lord, today that your spirit would take your word and speak to hearts. Continue to remind me of these truths, Lord, every day, every stage or juncture of my life. To let your life shine through me. And Lord, to see the opportunities to, to be, to exercise my ministry of reconciliation. To be a minister of the gospel. To share with others the hope of Christ. Lord, just the thought that I'm a, I'm a jar, but I hold this treasure. And we get to give this treasure away. And yet we never lose it by giving it away. So God, do a work in our hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time, or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.